This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Child sexual abuse are some of the most heinous crimes and unfortunately, we are still hearing about such cases happening today and often invisibly because many of these cases happened at home. Now, just recently, it was reported that a nine-year-old was the youngest, uh, is the mo- youngest mother on record in the country um, after it was mentioned by Yayasan Iklas Chairman Zainul Rashid Zainuddin who added that the girl had become pregnant after she was raped by her brother. Now, just yesterday as well, a man was found guilty of raping and sexual assault of his two teenage daughters over the past seven years. Um, and the eldest daughter is reportedly pregnant as well. Now, we've grown fairly accustomed to hearing such cases happening every once in a while, being reported in the news once in a while. Um, But what can we do better to protect our young children, especially in their own homes? So that's what we'll be discussing today. And joining me in the studio is Dr. James Nyagam, Chairman of Suriana Welfare Society. Thank you so much for joining me today, James. Thank you for having me over. Now, if I first take a step back and look at the bigger picture of child sexual abuse cases, right? Have you've been in this field of advocacy for more than four decades. Have you noticed any worrying trends in such cases over the years? Yes. Uh, there are two things that I notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is that uh, the age of the victims is getting younger. As you have just mentioned, it's a nine-year-old girl, and she's pregnant. The second thing that worries me is those sick fellas outside there mm-hmm. who call themselves fathers, stepfathers, brothers. Mm. So we do have some sick fellas outside there, and that is, seems to be a trend, and they rape their daughters and sisters. Hey, guys, we need to do something about this, and we're not proud of it. Mm. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but data is often hard to come by here in Malaysia. I mean, we will see the the general numbers being released about the number of cases that have been reported to PDRM. Um, PDRM releases such numbers every once in a while. Sometimes the Ministry of Women, Family and Community Development does as well. Um, What does the data tell us about what's happening on the ground? And is there a need for more granular data as well? Well, the data actually tells us of reported cases. Mm -hmm. Now, one must really understand that when you're dealing with sexual abuse, there are five things you need to know. Mm -hmm. First of all, it is an invisible issue. What I mean by invisible issue means it takes place in the home, in the house. Look at all that reported cases. Mm -hmm. So it takes place behind the walls, in private. Second one, in most cases, the perpetrator or the abuser is known to the child. Father, brother, grandfather, mother's boyfriend, and so on. The third case is it does not get reported because it happens in the house. Now, the fourth thing is what about the neighbors? Uh, The neighbors are so like around anybody's housing area, mind their own business, and there's no way out of fear the mother or the child will report this matter. Mm. Number five, if it is invisible, if it's done by the parent, how then is going to be reported? So therefore, uh, we must find a way 
by which we are so effective that this family is helped. Mm. What um, maybe I could get you to elaborate a bit more on that, right? Because it happens at home, because it's invisible, it's challenging for it to be reported. What have you heard or what have you seen in terms of how this actually pans out on the ground? What are these challenges that stops the child from seeking help or perhaps even a family member from speaking out against it? Okay, let's take, for example, the mother. Mm. A typical example that she... Uh, has been chased out by a her husband. Mm -hmm. So, example of a case of a mother who's got two girls aged seven and nine, and then she is looking for a place to stay. And so she finds this man, becomes a boyfriend, and he provides her food, mm -hmm. lodging, for her and the two girls. But it comes with a price. He begins to sexually abuse the two girls, seven and nine. Mm -hmm. And mind you, folks, this is a real case mm -hmm. I've dealt with. And later, uh, he rapes the seven-year-old and the nine-year-old. But the mother becomes a co-dependent simply because where else she's going to find place to stay. And so she is quiet. She keeps quiet. And this guy, day in and day out, rapes the two girls. The two girls, what do they do? They can't speak up. Mm. And so they keep quiet. And the whole thing goes on for years uh, until it's discovered. In this particular case, it was discovered. Mm. Mind you, friends, it took eight years before the court hearing because of the postponement, because of all the delays, the child was like 16, 17 years old when she came to court wow. and she had forgotten all those uh, details. So that is the situation. The second part is, you know, research shows that most cases uh, you find that where the child confides in someone close to her mm -hmm. and it can be a classmate and can be a friend. And that's how it comes out. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, research shows that it takes about four years before a case of child rape or sexual abuse is reported to the authorities. These are some of the uh, dynamics the lawmakers and those involved need to understand mm -hmm. before they propose some form of action. Mm-hmm. It has to be effective because this is the current situation mm. that we are facing. Now, speaking of policy, speaking of uh, an enforcement and action, right? We've heard over the years multiple action plans, um, strengthening of laws. To what extent, um, you know, we have, for example, the Child Act, we have the Sexual Offences um, Against Children Act. To what extent do these laws, these policies help um, to make a difference on the ground in these individual cases? You see, let's look back. Mm -hmm. We have had and are having the laws, which is adequate. Mm -hmm. We are having the support systems in terms of uh, action that can be taken against the person. Mm -hmm. But let's examine it over the years and in light of the recent cases. You see, the guy who does these act on the child, he doesn't know the law. He hasn't gone to law school. Mm -hmm. And so he just does it. 
because he is a maniac. He is mentally sick. So he does this. He doesn't know until it comes out, mm -hmm. until uh, he is charged and convicted. But nobody cares anything about what is written in terms of the law or the penalty. It does happen. And so it is in, on the increase. And so we must find and be creative enough and effective to find ways and means of dealing with this heinous crime. Hmm. All right. Um, we'll go for a quick break now, James. And when we come back, I want to talk about what you've mentioned before about the need to take a more community-based approach to this, um, a more grassroots approach, um, uh, if I could say that. Um, on the show with me today is Dr. James Nyagam, Chairman of Suriana Welfare Society. And we're talking about how we can better tackle child sexual abuse cases following um, several recent reports about um, cases, such cases happening in the country. We'll be right back after a quick break. So keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su. And joining me on the show today is Dr. James Nagam, Chairman of Suriana Welfare Society. And he's joining me today to discuss how we can do better when it comes to um, tackling child sexual abuse cases, especially when so many of these cases, from what has been reported and what has been researched as well, these many of these cases happen in the home, are... Um, uh, the perpetrators are known to the child, which makes them even more difficult to um, detect and to address. Now, James, in a in an interview with Real Malaysia today, I saw that you say you've mentioned that a community based approach may be more helpful when it comes to addressing child sexual abuse cases that happens at home. And um, you know, we've been talking about how um, Suriana has had you know several of these projects. You sort of you get the neighborhood involved in this. Tell me more about the projects that Suriana runs and and how it works out. Well, the first thing is. Uh we approached the community leaders. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we said, look, uh, take, for instance, in this particular PPR flats, low-cost flats, mm -hmm. uh, we acknowledge and they acknowledge there are social issues. Mm. And so the first thing is to say, can we work with you to lift the standard of living in this area? Notice we did not say we are here to help elevate poverty. You work with them. Yeah. We work with the Pangulus. We work with the chairman of the committees uh, and have an initial meeting with them and we get their buy-in. Number two, this is where we are different. We say, friends, uh, with all these social issues, you are going to be the owners of the project. You are going to be proactive in addressing these projects we are here to journey with you. We are here to assist you. Then you see the welcome. Mm -hmm. You see, we welcome you, sir. So what we actually do is we do five things. Mm -hmm. First of all, we empower them. That means to realize there are acknowledging that there are social issues within the community. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, we are here to assist you in dealing with those social issues. How shall we do it? First of all, form a committee. So they will amongst them select persons uh, within the community and they form this community com a committee 
to address these issues. Number two, what actually happens is we give them the empowerment to visit all those families, uh, find out what are their needs. And so they are the ones who do case referrals, not the NGO. So we empower them. They go from house to house, find out what are the needs of the families. Uh, they have got... Uh, they have got nice vests and so on. Mm -hmm. And they, because mm -hmm. they are known to the residents, are readily welcome. So you don't get people closing their doors on you? No. Nah. So, and this, the chairman of the committee is the Panguru or the uh, Pangurusi mm -hmm. of that committee. Mm -hmm. So they are welcomed. Mm -hmm. Not like a uh, person like me going to any other door and knocking <laughs> as a stranger mm -hmm. to discuss personal issues. Mm -hmm. Issues related to family matters. So we empower them. Then what we do is uh, we train uh, the persons, the community members as para-counsellors. That means they can counsel families who are facing difficulties, financial issues, and various other forms of uh, difficulties. Mm -hmm. Then we also get them to assure that uh, each of those families will be helped. So when they bring forward or put for, bring together with all the forms filled up, then we assess each case, if it's whether it's food aid, counselling, housing, health, uh, applying for an OKU card, and we do our part. So it's not like an NGO you know, going in and doing it, or we start a tadika, or we start a protection centre, no, the community plays an active role in addressing the social issues within them and they assure the community that action will be taken. And so far, uh, during the COVID, mm -hmm. we have helped feed 25,000 families. Wow. And so you see the effectiveness of this. That is the reason why we have won a number of awards because we see results. We see the activeness, active participation of the uh, community. Um, so you said five things. So one is the empowerment, case referrals being done by the community themselves. Um, then you train them as para-counsellors. You ensure that they do get support. Um, did I miss the fifth one? The, the fifth one basically is uh, that we also run a centre which is also owned a community centre which is run by the residents themselves. And so you see, uh, they have a say in it. Mm. We have a discussion every month as a committee meeting. So they feel very proud to be able to run this as a model. And we're hoping that throughout the country, such uh, activity, effort will be implemented. Was it challenging getting the buy-in from the the these individuals to form that community in the first place? Actually, when they realised that there is a form of help mm -hmm. and that we are empowering them, they really welcomed it. Mm -hmm. You see, most communities are like handouts, you know, okay, gimme, gimme, gimme. And so people supply food aid, this and this, and have an NGO giving that. But we turned around and said, we are here to assist you Whatever that you have referred to us, oh, they feel proud to refer cases. Then 
the response from the residents was good because mm. they were going to refer cases to their own community leaders. Mm. And we, on the other hand, ensured that the, uh, as far as possible, the needs were met. Mm. So you were providing resources from the back end, essentially. Yes. So my staff don't go in as much. Mm. Uh, we are there to has support services, but most of the decisions are made by the community members and the members of the community themselves. Mm. What kind of training do these um, committee members get? You mentioned a bit about um, how they're trained as para-counsellors. Tell me more about that because these are individuals that would have no experience doing any of this beforehand, right? How do you train them up? Well, basically uh, to have an open mind mm -hmm. when they visit families, to take down as much details as possible. You see, we can save time. Mm. Uh, we, the member would go to a particular family and say, how can we help you? Mm. Not decide that you need food aid, you need this, you need that. Preconceived thoughts. And so when they approach a family and say, how can we assist you? Uh, I'll be of assistance to you. Immediately, the response is, I need aid for my children's education, or I need aid for my, my daughter who's disabled. Mm -hmm. And the response is direct. Mm -hmm takes a few minutes to know what they need and to be to assure them that we're looking into their plight. Mm -hmm. Secondly, is that we train these ladies to report cases, be tactful mm -hmm. in handling cases of abuse. Mm. If it's a domestic violent case, they go around the lady and say, we are here. So to inform the husband that the wife is being supported and surrounded by other groups of ladies. And then also, they are trained to identify and examine if a child is abused. Mm. Look at the scars, look at the surroundings, and so to assess whether the home is safe. Mm. Uh, going beyond that, we give them a list of places where they can go for help mm. in terms of the police, in terms of uh, Department of Social Welfare. So we give them uh, areas where they themselves can go and seek help. So these are some of the uh, knowledge or information that we equip our committee members and volunteers. Hmm. How important is it to actually have um, a system that addresses many different aspects of well-being, like you mentioned, from food aid to education to disability issues, not just to go in and say, okay, I'm here to help you if there is signs of abuse happening. Does it, is it important that it's a network that addresses a whole range of well-being issues? Yeah, because when you deal with a community, there are a whole range of uh, social ills that we have to counter. Drugs, alcoholism, domestic violence, poverty, mm. uh, disability, just to name a few. So when... We uh, the teams go out at any one time. They're addressing housing, health, all these employment issues, especially after COVID. Mm. A number of them have lost their jobs and businesses and so on. How best to assist them to come up. And during the COVID, uh, child abuse and sexual abuse rose because of the stress level that was being faced by the families. Um, and so it is very important that you must realize sexual abuse, child abuse is a component, is a sub 
issue of a bigger issue mm-hmm. within the family, uh, dealing with a man's gratification, environment, the woman or the mother being in a very vulnerable situation. So we need to address those issues first, and then it automatically addresses other forms of issues, mm. stress and so on. So here we are, uh, training our volunteers within the community to address these issues. It could be poverty, it could be stress, it could be health issues. And then the family comes to a point where they're able now to go to the next level, being stable, being mm-hmm. able to stand on their two feet. Then, being a- then they begin to address all other issues within the family. Hmm. How feasible is a model like this, um, empowering the community? How feasible it is to be done by, for example, the Ministry of Women, Family and Community Development? Because what we often hear from them is they send their social workers in, they send their child protection officers in. Is a model like this of empowering the community something that can be done by the government? Let's examine the facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, by this effort that we have uh, implemented in some of these low-cost flats and PPR flats, especially in a place like Desa Mantari, mm-hmm. we were audited mm-hmm. and we have won awards. So it shows that factually it works. And therefore, if it works and it produces results, then it is something to be considered and we are willing to work together with any agency to implement this because it works. Mm. As you can see, history shows uh, you have heavier penalty, law and all that, but it still repeats and worse. Uh, as we've recently seen, the age is coming down mm-hmm. and the cases are rising. But if we can work together and on this thing which produces results and shown to produce results and implement it in all other areas, We are willing to do that. Uh, After all, then, we can again track the results, implement, and then review the results of this form of an effort where the community is empowered to deal with issues within their own community. And this is what is encouraging. Mm -hmm. This is what we should be doing. Uh, This is what where we can say, the manpower is not an issue. Finance is not an issue. So what's the excuse? Let's work together. My team and I are willing to work with any agency uh, to implement this. So what would you like to see now from um, agencies within the Ministry of Women, Family and Community Development? There must be a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, oh, we are the ones who are doing it. We have this and we have that. And launch expensive campaigns, but a really respectfully, don't bring about the desired results. What we're talking about is results. Mm -hmm. Results that can be monitored, uh, programs that can be, uh, have a target date Mm -hmm. of implementation, and then you do a data analysis. Then you can safely say, we have moved forward. And it takes creativity. We're not talking about traditional approach. Come on, people, think out of the box. Mm -hmm. Do something different, you know. Uh, And then let's try uh, this form of approach Mm -hmm. to the community 
and which we had and which we see results. Mm. You've essentially done the pilot project. Yes, we have. And we have the results. Mm. You see, let me tell you this. Mm -hmm. When we had a meeting with some, with the community leaders, do you know, I did not have to say a word. They were the ones who were speaking uh, of the effectiveness of such a program. Mm -hmm. I can take you today to the, and meet the community leaders. They are the ones who will say how they've achieved results. That is what we want to hear. It's become a proud achievement for them. It is a proud achievement for them, and they are proud of it, and they're hoping that this will be implemented in all parts of the country. Briefly before we end, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, putting an end to child sexual abuse cases. I just want to briefly touch on how on supporting these children, um, these families who um, are survivors of, of child sexual abuse, right? Do you think enough is being done to support them? What can we do better? Well, again, it depends on the age of the child. If I'm dealing with, uh, if, if we're dealing with young children below five or below three, uh, for them, it was something done mm -hmm. and they think it's something of a play uh, matter. Uh, so they need to forget it by providing them with other forms of activities. But if they have come to a point that they realize that they've been violated, mm -hmm. their rights have been violated, then there must be some form of way to get them to speak. Uh, then counseling, follow-up, activity, group therapy, and so on. But then again, um, whoever is responding to them has to be rather very approachable, mm -hmm. not formal. I'm trained uh, to interview young children early as two years old and telling, us, telling me how this had happened to them by giving them a doll and so on. So people need to know the dynamics of what the child has gone through, the background, but then the issue of trusting adults becomes uh, of, to, to be considered because it was done by a father. Mm. It was done by the someone mother's they trusted. Their brother, uh, boyfriend, someone they trusted. So how then can they trust men, their own boyfriends in later years? And so you see, it has a long-term effect. Mm. So how we approach uh, handling cases, victims, it, it requires a lot of sensitivity, maturity. And so I hope that not any Tom, Dick and Harry will jump onto it and say, yeah, I can handle sexual abuse. Till today, uh, there are really, it's an area of uh, learning. Mm. Mm. It's, I mean, just because you think that you can do something about it doesn't mean you're equipped to help out. Yep. Um, so I know that people can sort of um, help Suriana Welfare Society to continue doing what they, you do. Um, tell me more about how people can reach out, how people can help. They can, first of all, become a volunteer. They can call us at 1-300-882200 or go to our website, suriana.org. And also, we have produced a handcrafted calendar for 2024. Now, these are all handcrafted by victims and by single mothers and so on. And these are handcrafted, so they are not for sale. But we will give it to you 
If you give a minimum donation of 60 ringgit, which goes towards the protection of victims and single mothers and so on, uh, provided you just give us a donation which is tax exempted. Mm -hmm. And to get uh, a copy, you may want to call us at 1-300-882200 or visit our website, surana.org. And I tell you, in the coming end of the year, this will make a wonderful year-end gift because it comes in a gift box as well. Mm. And um, so do help us in this area uh, to help us uh, contribute and get a copy of this 2024 calendar as well. And uh, should you know of any victim mm -hmm. or families within your neighborhood, school, or any context, do contact us so that we are able to assist uh, the victims and especially their families. Mm. Again, uh, I'll repeat the number is one 800 or the website is suryana.org. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much um, for joining me today, James, and for highlighting that, you know, us as people around a child, we should speak up if we think something is wrong. It's There's more harm that could be done if we don't speak up rather than if we do. Yes, we do. Thank you. I've been speaking to Dr. James Nagam, Chairman of Suriana Welfare Society, and we've been talking about how we can improve how we tackle child sexual abuse cases in the country. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen, and this has been Live and Learn BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.